This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Walking Each Other Home is an exploration of the many ways we cultivate wisdom, compassion, and love in our lives. Mirabai Bush talks with some of her many diverse friends about what they're learning now from their spiritual paths and practices. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Mirabai. Hi, everyone. I'm Mirabai Bush. Welcome to Walking Each Other Home. Our guest today is the perfect guide to this theme of walking together. He's just written a book in which he says that we're all on a journey of spirit here on planet Earth, and we can help each other along in many ways. Come out and take me by my hand. Our guest is John Densmore, well known as the drummer for The Doors and now author of The Seekers, Meetings with Remarkable Musicians and Other Artists. He's also written other books, poems, plays, and music, and been an actor in plays and films. Um, I I first met John at a dinner with Ram Dass and some others, and as the dinner was about to begin, he pulled out a drum and recited a Jim Morrison poem. It was divine. So John's going to read some poems for us today and talk about the book and other things. So welcome, John. Thank you, Mirabai. So um, since I talk so much about silence in this book, I thought I'd do this interview without any words. It's perfect. Here we go. Now I'm going to go back and on my word and talk a lot. <clears throat> this is a Tibetan uh, bowl that Manos gave me, mm. a flute player for uh, Deva Pramal and Mitten. Uh-huh. Um, so let's see. I don't think Maharishi knew it, but he was the door's press agent. We met at uh, his uh, meditation class. This was about a year before the Beatles got on to Maharishi. And, um, you know, we were fooling around with then legal psychedelics and uh, thought that meditation would be a less shattering route, 
longer, but less shattering. And I was in a, a, a small room with Maharishi and uh, wow, the love vibe was just palpable. You know, I was used to uh, priests in black yeah, with me high too. collar <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, LSD had quite a bit more impact than the communion wafer. Um, and so uh, I have a, a, a Neem Crowley Baba uh, thing around my neck right now. Oh, yes. And I was not that aware of him until several years ago when I met you guys. Um, but boy, it's growing on me. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that um, I can feel uh, a love channel coming through him to Ram Das, to Krishna Das, and Mirabai Bush. Mm -hmm. huh. I feel it, and <laughs> it's a real blessing. It's I wanted the highest to, compliment you could make. Thank I you. I wanted to uh, just say that, and. Mm -hmm. um, to get political, um, Father Greg Boyle is a LA uh, wonderful priest who's worked with gang kids. And mm. recently he said about uh, the pandemic and everything, he said, every day gets a little closer to the new normal. And he said, the new normal will have more love. So there it is. Wow. And, and that seems kind of ironic because today uh, the Congress is fighting over whether to impeach our president or not. And um, I still believe that uh, the love vibe is what's coming, you know. Michael Mead, a wonderful mythologist friend of mine, said that we're in a global initiation and you know initiations you got to go out alone like we're all separate right now mm -hmm. and then then the descent and we're in the descent and then you come up and we will come up and you come up hopefully with a new vision because that's why you went through this descent and so anyway that's it you can grill me now oh, that's pretty great <laughs> Love goddess. So <laughs> poems later? A little later, yeah. Okay. You tell me when. I do have I have some questions. Um I even have notes. <laughs> um, oh yeah, this is good. Your first chapter is about your mother, which I loved. I thought that was the best. And you talk about your mother's heartbeat as the first sound or the mother's heartbeat as the first sound we hear, the first percussion. And I, I watched Elvis Mitchell at the Times call, called your mother your first collaborator. Isn't that what he said? Uh, while you were in the womb and your own heart started beating. And so you were playing together. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, you've called the womb and I love this too. The ultimate homeland security. It's really good. <laughs> um, when you wrote about Elvin Jones, your great inspiration, you said he was channeling the pulse of the universe, the heartbeat. So my question is, and I'm, 
why is this important in music? Why is percussion important in music? Well, uh, the first drum beat all of us heard was in the womb, our mom, her heart. And so um, if it's a duet or a 40 piece orchestra, they're all trying to play as one person. They're trying to get back to that heartbeat because that's what makes us dance or feel secure or whatever. It's just calming. I don't know what it is. And so that's what we're all after. And, and we had our own little heartbeat too in the womb, you know, so we already had Elvin Jones polyrhythms. You know? <laughs> but, but the main thing is the pulse. It has to be kind of, um, once you started a song, either whatever tempo, a ballad or real fast salsa, it has to stay with that same groove, that same pulse. You cannot speed up or slow down. If you do, everyone will stop dancing or they'll go, what, 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 what happened, you know? Um, and so that's the homeland security, the, just the um, security of a, a solid uh, groove. Does that answer your question? <laughs> Yeah, kind of. Um, <laughs> it does, really. Um, it's so, um, I love it because it begins the connection between the spirit and, you know, this this journey we set out on and music. It's all yeah. there from the very beginning. Yeah. It's funny, you know, I, I wanted to I started this book years ago. I wanted to do, do a tip of the hat to various artists who fed me. And uh, then I thought I'd write about my mom because she encouraged my piano playing and drumming. And uh, then I thought, oh, let's make it autobiographical. I'll put her first. Then I realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. Of course she's first. I was in her womb. She started it all for me, you know? I mean, I never initially thought I'd have a book with my mom and Lou Reed in the same. I know it's same, but here we are. It's uh, it's, really it's real diverse. But but that's that's the doors. The doors are very eclectic. We've got uh, blues and flamenco, and Jim knew every uh, writer on the planet, and I had jazz, and that's um, that's the the melting pot. That's the American gumbo that uh, it's pretty delicious and it's diverse and diversity equals strength. That's a little, soap, a little, yes. little soapbox statement for, for the Trumpsters. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I loved that you were there in Jamaica just as reggae was getting started. That was cool. But given your appreciation of all these different American forms of music, and reggae was so interesting as a drummer because uh, as Marley sang, playing a rhythm fighting against a system, uh, <laughs> they turned the beat around. I, I mean, rumor is that they heard it up in Florida uh, broadcast on a little uh, radio and they thought the beat was the other way around. Well, whatever made them kind of flip the beat around, mm -hmm. it, it's... Uh, I don't know. It, it kind of, for drummers, it rearranges your brain cells a little bit. And, and it's really wonderful. And then, of course, Marley's 
visionary lyrics are just oh, so uh, worldly and humanitarian. Yeah, absolutely. Love them. Yeah. Well, now I noticed all through your book and in your playing that the role of silence is really important to you. You write about the silence and space in Willie Nelson's music. I loved that Willie was in there. Um, and about the balance between silence and sound. And um, you wrote that it's, it's about breathing in and breathing out, which I, I know more about than I do about music. You wrote your uh, science mentor, Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, saying that dark matter, the space between stars and planets, is as important as matter. And so would you talk about this, about this and the space between notes? Why, why is it important in music? You know, if you look at musical notation, it, it's just a bunch of math, really, all those notes. What turns it into music is the feeling you put in between the numbers. Really, you're just counting when you read music. But um, that's why uh, the space in between each beat is so important. Like to a drummer, if you're pushing the beat, then it's kind of polka or militaristic. If you're laying back, then it's the blues. You're waiting to the last second to play the next beat so the sadness can get in there, you know? And so uh, it's like Gustavo Dudamel is the new young conductor of the LA Philharmonic. Yeah. I could not believe it when I saw him conduct and he finishes 20 minutes of Beethoven, a lot of sound. And then he, he's still holding his arms up in the air so we know we're not supposed to applaud yet. And for a full minute or two, there's silence. Oh my God, glorious silence. Um, and then he puts his hands down and then we applaud. I think there's a sentence in there I'm rather proud of in his chapter, something about um, if out of Neil deGrasse's black hole, out of silence, music starts, a rock song or a symphony orchestra, it doesn't matter. If it's quality music, whatever genre, then the silence after hearing it will be deeper. So um, that's that thing about hitting a gong and listening to, to it's meditation. And there's something deep in there. And Ram Dass talks about it a lot in uh, his stuff. I think I quoted him about, and and Gary Shandling talks about the mm -hmm. in the silence. Um, so there's something in there, and you know about it more than anybody, Miss Mindful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I know more about it now than a few years ago because after writing that book with Ramdas, since yeah. he has aphasia now, and yeah. so there are these long pauses, right? Um, and um, uh, it was amazing, just. I, I was completely comfortable with it, of course, because I've been with him so much, but I would yeah. just like drop into the silence. And um, 
engaging a subject like death or like we're talking about the spirit, the life, you know, um, having those silences between the words was uh, such a gift. You know, maybe I should read that that little section you wanted me to read. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, about Ramdas. That'd be great. Yeah. Should I do that? Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. Let's see. Yeah, you said page uh, 177. The beginning of his, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Here we go. Ready? Yep. <clears throat> Chapter 23, Ramdas, Wheelchair Mystic. The quieter you become, the more you can hear. Unfortunately, I met Ram Das, the author of the best-selling countercultural Bible, Be Here Now, after he had his stroke. Or maybe the timing wasn't so unfortunate. As he said, my speech pattern was severely impaired and I considered not speaking publicly anymore since the words came so slowly, but people insisted that my halting new voice enabled them to concentrate on the silence between the words. Sound familiar? <laughs> the silence between the sounds of music makes the music breathe like human beings. I'm certainly not the fastest drummer in the world, but my exposure to all genres of music, classical, rock, blues, folk, country has taught me to play with as much attention to dynamics as possible. Dynamics elicit the maximum emotions from the listener as well as from me. If you play with the full palette of sounds, even down to silence, you produce anger and peace and everything in between, the total human experience. Quoting Ram Das again, now that I speak more slowly, people tend to finish my sentences for me and then to answer questions for themselves. Though I once used silence as a teaching method, it now arises without my control and allows for a sense of emptiness, an emptiness that listeners can use as a doorway to their inner quiet the quieter you become, the more you can hear. Isn't that the transcendence we're all looking for? Through music, books, art, we're trying to stop time and get a little relief from the rat race. Like Bob Marley said, there's a horse race, a human race, but this here is a rat race. Even in comedy, another art form, some of the best comedians are reaching for the same thing. In an interview, the brilliant comedian Mark Maron said to the comedic genius Gary Shandling, I think you've changed the game with how the audience is willing to be let moments sit with comedy. You and Rip Torn would just stand by the monitor on the Larry Sanders show and nothing would be said for 20 seconds. And of course, in TV, dead air is nothing short of death. The truth actually is in the silence, Gary responded. So coming back to the other problem in life, people are afraid to have a 
Gary stopped talking for about 10 seconds. Silent moment like that there, then stopped again. Remember, this was an interview, but Marin was right there with him. Gary finally continued. And in the silence right there is all the truth and all the wisdom in the world. You gotta stop talking, jumping up and giving your opinions quickly. Why is that? Marin asked. Addiction, addiction to preventing one to have to discover the true self, a defensive reaction to not having to go any deeper. Art brings these truths to the surface. Or as the equally brilliant record producer, Rick Rubin said, music has altered my consciousness. It takes me out of myself. You can't even put into words its effect. Art and meditation make a space where we can go deeper with ourselves and find our core. Similarly, Ram Dass's silences were music to my ears. I had met Ram Dass's sidekick, Krishna Das, who invited me to sit in with him at one of his chanting concerts. KD has become the Mick Jagger of the yoga music world. Nobody has pipes like his. Even <laughs> Even Sting is a fan. Rick Rubin speaks of Krishna Das's voice as having an unparalleled authority. Like me, Ram Das and Krishna Das, uh, oh, uh, like me, Ram Das and Krishna Das had their spiritual life jump-started by psychedelics, but they quickly found out that meditation and chanting offered a less shattering route. It's a longer path, but after all, we're in it for the long run unlike our musical peers who got caught in a deep roller coaster dive after that peak high found the descent too steep and bailed. Yeah. Segways right into Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin, huh? <laughs> that, <sighs> before I forget, that reminds me that you recorded the book too with you reading it, right? That's correct, Mirabai. And also I added a bunch of music. I put oh, in some fabulous. I put in some, I put in some drum beats. I put in a little piano playing behind my mom's uh, telling me to practice my scales. And so yeah, I think uh, it's pretty That's cool. Great. Thanks. So it's on Audible, probably, is it? I hope so. It's just yep. getting going. <laughs> okay. But um it's so great to hear you read it. Wow. There was a lot in there. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, um, it, Jim, it's funny. He, um, he went to a Maharishi meeting. He wanted to look into Maharishi's eyes and see if he had any truth. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he's got something, but I'm not going to meditate. Ah, too bad. Too bad. I'm not so then it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> It's interesting, I write about the Dalai Lama, which most people <clears throat> would think, you know, I, that I wouldn't say what actually happened, but I kind of uh, went beyond the bounds and, and did the same thing and looked into his eyes, like, prove you got, the, you're as great as your rep. And, uh, you know, he kind of whisked me away. And it, it was really interesting because it, it felt like a Zen slap. And I was, I was teary the whole friggin' night after that, that I got. 
what yeah. was right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the windows of the soul are uh, <clears throat> precious doorways. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Ram Dass's eyes really got, I mean, that entry got really deep in the last, oh. <clears throat> uh, you know, couple of years before he. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I just a week or two ago watched uh, Ragu, uh, uh, Ragu's uh, uh, little 10 minute video of Ram Dass in, in Maui, I think it is. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I myself started getting teary, just looking at him, looking at me. <laughs> exactly. No, so I that's, that's what yeah. I meant by the beginning of this uh, talk that, uh, you know, this, this guy on my chest, uh, he's channeling through folks and uh, it's, it's palpable and it's beautiful. Yeah. It's still amazing to me after all these years. <laughs> Yeah. And 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 my girlfriend or my fiance Ildiko, whom you met at the mm -hmm. dinner. Yeah. She said, Oh, great, Mirabai, I'll be a lot of love. And I said, Exactly. <laughs> and she's sensitive to that. So there is a lot of love. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am so grateful to you for this book is so beautiful. I loved your other book too, but um and I was just, it took me back reading the chapter about Janice Joplin, you know, I remember being in graduate school and she came to Buffalo and, uh. and I just remember that feeling of, and with other musicians during that time and other times, that feeling of somebody knows, uh. somebody else knows you know, someone else knows about like the expansion of your being out into the universe. You know, somebody knows the depth of passion that's trying to express itself. You know, I just, you made me really think about music and what, um, what, why it was important in my life as not a musician, you know, and uh, what, what happened to me through music and um and then as i said i i was listening to the doors for the last couple of days i thought well i just get in the mood you know so <laughs> but oh my goodness you know so <laughs> some of it that where um where the music goes so far that you just have to let go and letting go is such a part of spiritual practice letting go of your attachments letting yeah. go of your desires you know and letting go of who you think you are. Um, and I realized that that's one of the ways I first learned to let go. Listening to music? Yeah, and listening yeah. to you, your music. Um, and I try to say in this book, uh, you know, if you make a space every day to do conscious walking or paint a painting that no one will see or play your piano in a closet that no one will hear, you're in the same zone as these icons and you don't have to climb the charts and and we're all seekers, you know? So I love that. I was gonna say at the end, but I'm, I will now. Um, yeah, what, what's gotten you through this COVID period? I mean, you, you do have a partner and 
um, that helps. Some people are just by themselves, but um, it's been a struggle for everybody. And um, what has gotten you through? And I think it's important that you are a great artist, but um, it's, you said in the book too, that you don't have to be in order to have art be a help through um, on the path or during hard times. Yeah. Well, uh, art has helped me through this, that's for sure. I, I did a, uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I did a YouTube 15-minute uh, poetry reading of like uh, one Mary, Mary Oliver poem I'm going to read at the um, end of our little sure. talk here. But uh, several of those poems, a couple of hers, and they, they um, poetry, you know, is so it's kind of like the skeleton of language. It's trying to go as deep as the silence and meditation. It's, it's searching for the words that are just, I don't know what it is. Like, for example, Galway Cannell, you know, you, he, you sent me a photograph of his collected works. That book, I'm gonna read one of those poems. I, I cannot read any of those poems without weeping. Now, what is that? Well, uh, it's getting down to something so deep, I don't know, some deep humanity that connects us all. So. Yeah, it's so, so far out that you said that. I, about poetry, when I first went to India, it was the first time I ever meditated, did anything like that. And I'd been, I was in the fourth year of my PhD in, in American literature and poetry. So I've been thinking about it a lot. And then we sat, Ram Das was there too, and Krishna Das. And we sat for like a month every day in silence from early in the morning till night. And wow. um, with great instruction from a teacher named Galanka. But um, after a while, you know, and then I was young, I could sit in lotus position, you know, we all uh, did. Yeah. And, um, but at a certain point, like after weeks of doing this, I had this, what seemed like this incredible revelation that, oh, I thought, a poem, this is what a poem is, that my energy was so focused and, wow. and centered and strong. And I thought, oh my God, this is what a poem is. It's words in that very concentrated at their purest and most intense uh, expression, you know. But I don't think I've told that to anybody else because after I got out, it was a little bit like, you know, when you pick up a stone on the beach on psychedelics and then and it looks like you can see the whole universe in it and then you get home and it's just a stone yeah um that's just beautiful and i, I totally get it and i i, I believe i believe in it you know uh wow mm. so let me we're talking about the love vibe yeah, I'm going to read a little tiny short poem by Robert Bly, the poet, get, getting down to the essence. Right. This goes out to you and uh, John, is it? Your, your, who's your, your husband? Oh, oh EJ. EJ. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm sorry. Was that your first husband? Whoops. Oh, yes, that's right. I forgot. About <laughs> okay. You understand these things, I know. I do. Well, I, yeah, Ildiko and I have been trying to get married. Uh, we've both been married three times previous. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, I tried to 
my parents were married 40 years. I, it just wasn't my road. Um, and due to this damn pandemic, we have postponed it three times now. Well, well I, I was married twice before, EJ. And yeah. they and I got married after 32 years of living together <laughs> on, the, well, on the vineyard. So it, you have time. Yeah. Yeah. We've been together 12. So uh, <laughs> we, we bumped it because, you know, what, what is a what is a wedding with social distancing? Exactly. Boring. Yes. Agreed. Uh, all right. So this goes out to EJ and you and Ildiko and me. Little Shorty by Bly. It's called What We Provide. Oh, I'm going to get my glasses so I can see the damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> Every breath taken in by the man who loves and the woman who loves goes to fill the water tank where the spirit horses drink. <laughs> yeah. Right? Never heard that one. That is so great. <laughs> That's the love channel. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You want to do some more poems? Or uh, well, all right. Since we're uh, talking about how powerful poetry is, <clears throat> this um, is a Galway Canal poem, and I think this kind of kind of sums up my entire new book. Uh, it's called Wait. This is, uh, I mean, this guy, wow. Whew. Yeah. He's a, a Pulitzer dude. Uh, you know, I mean, even a deeper poet than Robert Bly. Um, God, he gets to the essence. He's, he, I met him. He's very shy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and Robert is the opposite of shy, but he was a wonderful mentor for us uh, 60s males who grew our hair long and integrated feminine values, but but needed a little um, huevos to go with it, you know. All right, Galway Canal. It's called Wait. Wait for now. Distrust everything if you have to, but trust the hours. Haven't they carried you everywhere up to now? Personal events will become interesting again. Hair will become interesting. Pain will become interesting. Buds that open out of season will become interesting. Secondhand gloves will become lovely again. Their memories are what give them the need for other hands. And the desolation of lovers is the same, colon. That enormous emptiness carved out of such tiny beings as we are asks to be filled. The need for the new love is faithfulness to the old. Wait, don't go too early. You're tired, but everyone's tired, but no one is tired enough. Only wait a little and listen. Music of hair, music of pain, music of looms 
weaving all our loves again. Be there to hear it. It will be the only time, most of all, to hear the flute of your whole existence rehearsed by the sorrows play itself into total exhaustion. Oh, uh, uh, that covers it all. Oh, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Your total existence. Mm. You know, it's almost like poetry and poetry goes somewhere you were in your month long meditation. And that's where music goes too, because music is nonverbal and poetry is so minimal, it's almost nonverbal. Mm -hmm. It's just direct hits to the heart, you know? And I can remember when I was, uh, you know, I committed to meditating twice a day for, I don't know, 10 years or whatever. And in the middle of doors recording sessions, Robbie, the guitar player, and I would make everybody stop and we'd go in the vocal booth and meditate <laughs> for a half hour. And they, they tolerated it, you know, but uh, after doing that for a long time, like you, I, I did have kind of uh, some, I don't know, Kundalini stuff going on in my youth. And uh, I don't know, we're trying to get down to what Gary Shandling's talking about, something, the truth down there in the silence and um, all this stuff, this art. It's a wonderful access, you know. You know, a friend, maybe you know John O'Donohue's poems. Um, no, he, I know the name. He's so great. He was, um, he's Irish, but he came to this country. I first met him in Galway. Um, but he um, was interested in um, kind of translating Celtic spirituality uh, uh. For, for now. And it's amazing, but he's. And a I'm really, a I'm a Celt, so I know it. So he was a great um, poet, and um, he died young in his fifties, some few years ago. But um, he wrote a really beautiful book of blessings. They're really poems um, called "To Bless the Space Between Us." And oh, out of it, oh. and he talks about the space. The difference when you bless the space between us, there's a you can think of the space between us as separating us, but but if you bless it, then you honor it as the space that brings us together. That's nice. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Boy, hmm. oh, I can't believe you sat for a month in silence. That's big time. <laughs> I think it may have been more than a month. Um, yeah, it was. It was <laughs> in the in the days. There'd be two or three days. In be, he taught it in ten ten day sessions. There'd be two or three days between sessions, and um, there we all were going through these huge changes, you know. <laughs> so yeah, we all want to find out who the other people we've been looking at for 10 days in silence you know and of course we're all young you know so they look pretty good and so um uh so we would be sharing stories from our lives ramdas would call us the used to bees he had just written be here now so he was always saying to us be here now let go of who you used to be <laughs> that's a good line oh boy 
what a blessing sitting next to him and you across the table that evening. Just that was a great night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it was really Ramdas at his best at that time in his life. In the in the last like six months or so, he really um he really had I shouldn't say less energy because he always seemed to have energy pouring through him, but um, he did. He couldn't talk as much, you know, and um, uh, it, and he was just weaker. Um, so that period when you came was really great, really great. Yeah, uh, KD later told me that, uh, that you know, he, previous to that, a week before, he wasn't talking to anybody for days, and you know, he was telling jokes. It was yeah. Yeah, he was amazing. Yeah. 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 I miss him, but I had um I had a dream about him recently. I've only had one dream of him. And after, you know, knowing him for 50 years and spending the last couple of years of his life with him a lot. Right. It's kind of funny that I haven't had but I had one. And there's more to come, more to come. (laughs) And in it, we were sitting in a circle as we'd often done, like leading a workshop or a meditation or something. And there was one person between him and me. And I um, reached behind that person and kind of um, uh, touched Ram Dass's fingers with mine, you know. And ah. as soon as I did, I just went into like a state of such happiness and presence and calm and everything is right. Oh. Um, it's so beautiful. And then after a few minutes, I pulled my hand back and he leaned back. There's this person between us. He leaned back and I leaned back a little bit and he looked right at me and he said, I'm here. <laughs> that was it. Nice. <laughs> That's all I needed. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> oh, I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So since we're telling, uh, secret dreams and and uh, a few things that we haven't said publicly uh, i had <laughs> i had a dream of ravi shankar who i one mm-hmm. chapter yeah. is on in this book um i'm gonna say it i'm i might as well uh i just dreamt that he ki- french kissed me on the mouth <laughs> i i you know, what can I say? I mean, it's just, I, I'm not gay, but so it was. A, what was your response in the dream? Oh, it was, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. The only, the dream was just that moment. That's it. But when I woke up, I went, oh, you know, it was just, I felt blessed. So, so great. you know, kind of like those fingers touching. Yes. You know? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's one thing I wanted to do. I, um, I thought about, we, we didn't mention that, that you, you drew the title and the idea for the book from Gurdjieff, right. Meetings with Remarkable Men. And in the first chapter of that book, he talks about his father, which is cool that you talk about your mother in the first chapter. But he talks about his father who was, um, a poet and a storyteller, and um, but in the oral tradition, and um, and he talks about his father t- telling the Gilgamesh 
a story. Yeah. And um, and that in in that story, um, uh, the goddess Inanna uh, um, gets a certain kind of tree, and she plants it. She moves it into her um, garden, and um, with the intention to carve it into a throne once it's uh-huh. grown. And the tree grows and matures, um, but uh, s- serpents and um, uh, some kind of demon birds inhabit the tree. And um, so she's very upset about that because she wants to have this tree carved. And so Gilgamesh comes along and he slays the serpent and frees up the, and the bird and frees up the tree. And um, his uh, companions then chop down the tree and carve its wood into a bed and a throne, which they give to Inanna. And she responds by fashioning a, what they call a piku and a miku, which are a drum and drumsticks as the oh. gift. Oh, as my goodness. For Gilgamesh. <laughs> Oh. There in inside meetings with remarkable men. I mean, oh. he doesn't he doesn't tell that whole story in there, but it's he talks about his father loving Gilgamesh. Isn't that good? Oh, thank you for that, Miravai. <laughs> you know, I I had seen the uh, film Meetings with Remarkable Men. Uh, little uh, Terrence Stamp was in there, and it was Peter Brook directed it. Kind of a cult film, and and. Uh, I, I didn't really read the book, you know, but uh, now I've got this little antidote from you that it, <laughs> I, I I definitely, you know, I meetings with remarkable musicians. It just hit me, you know, well, there's your title, you know, and, and I knew that uh, from the movie that it was about um, people trying to uh, musicians trying to play so well, they were like trying to catch God's ear and uh, sort of like a contest or whatever the hell. Not, not, the whole thing gave me the idea of just mm. a tribute to these musicians. But um, so Gurdjieff's dad told him this story, the Gilgamesh story. Yeah, he would recite wow. Gilgamesh. That was the way it was passed on, passed down. Yeah, right. Uh, and, you know, I forget, but... Some... And they carved it into a drum and sticks. I love it. Isn't <laughs> And these um, um, poets that you love are part of like this of this time. Um, Gilgamesh has become uh, among some of those poets. It's it's, it's gotten renewed, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, it's one of yeah, those no, stories. I, I I remember Bly telling uh, some Gilgamesh yeah. stories at one of the men's conferences. Uh huh. No. <clears throat> <laughs> Which, which I want to say, um, you know, I was in on that early, just like I was in Jamaica before reggae. And uh, Robert said, you know, it was just a few of us, said, you know, uh, if what we're doing here, you know, going out into the woods and, and uh, sharing feelings like women have always done, mm-hmm. uh, you know, n- not watching sports and drinking beer, um, you know, if if this ever becomes a movement, we're in trouble. That's what he said. <laughs> and then, bam, you know, which, so uh, 
which, you know, is a gift because um, it, it, it's not, it, it wasn't an answer to the women's movement. It was us trying to yeah. do what you guys have been doing forever to get down to some deep feelings, you know? And of course, everything gets co-opted in America and, you know, uh, some feminists in Europe called Robert Hitler or whatever the hell. Oh, God. But, but, you know, it, it did kind of jumpstart the Million Man March for African-Americans. And, and so um, uh, what was my train of thought? Well, the, just that um, it, it was empowering. Uh, and uh, I think uh, the patriarchy was hurting and still is hurting guys as much, you know. Well, yeah. Guys have to be in these roles and macho assholes. And we just saw a lot of them on TV. That's, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I write it right about Joseph Campbell and uh whom whom was wonderful. But I, I do think that even his main myth that the hero's journey the the is kind of on the way out it's it's that's the john wayne one person kind of hero um the new the new paradigm is men and women together in groups not yeah, in groups. one person it's it's like what's these new women politicians cortez and all of them yeah, yeah. you know the th squad that's, yeah <laughs> that's you know the iroquois Mm -hmm. whose government yes. we copied yep. you know they were the the real power was the grandmothers they they told who was going to be chiefs and you know so that's yeah. uh pretty interesting yes <laughs> that's yes. what's up ahead yeah look at, look at these young kids who who got so upset over the gun violence you know i mean wow yeah. they they were they they were being elders when elders are people who look after the young people and politicians are supposed to be elders yeah. and these young teenagers were standing up. That's the future. Groups of people standing up together. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm off the soapbox. Sorry. No, that was great. <laughs> Just the other night, I actually didn't see it, but uh, the Dalai Lama interviewed Greta Thunberg and uh, she's still probably only, I don't know, 16 or 15 or right. something. You know, right. but yeah, but there it is. And I, I thought that I think it was Thich Nhat Hanh, I'm not sure, who, a Vietnamese Buddhist teacher who said that that the um, the next Buddha um, would not be male or female. The next Buddha would be the community of seekers. Yeah. Uh, and did he use that word? <laughs> I'm using it. I know. <laughs> well, he probably did because he probably said Sangha, which is the Buddhist. Uh, uh. Holy word for it's usually translated as a community of seekers after truth. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Ah, yeah. This is fun. Circling, it is really fun. Circling the love wagons here. Yes. <laughs> I was going to ask what, what do you think you learn from doing this book. I felt like in doing that book with Ram Dass recently that I learned a lot in the process of doing it. Um, and since you were evoking so many people who've inspired you, um, yeah, what I'm sure that 
working with all that material brought up lots for you. What did you, what do you think of it that way as having learned something from it? Uh, yeah, not until now though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see how working with Ram Dass and, you know, he's definitely a, a year or two away from crossing over that uh, that's a very and you're writing about crossing I know it. <laughs> it's a very powerful learning experience you know and um, uh, I was very touched by that book and I will revisit that book uh, several more times before I cross over thank you for that um, I don't know I just um, um, more than ever maybe I've learned that we are all on the shoulders of those before us. Mm. So all these artists have fed me so much. And I, I didn't know that my love of classical music would feed my drumming, but it did. You know, I didn't see that coming, but yeah. I, I somehow was there. It's kind of like um, the beatniks were, the, the, the hippies, my generation mm -hmm. were on the shoulders of the beatniks. The, the punks are on the shoulders of the hippies. The grunge are on the shoulders of the punks. We're all, uh, you know, yeah. and yeah. Uh, that's how it goes. And, and it, and it feels good to honor those people and mention that they've fed you because, you, you know, we're just channeling stuff. Maybe there's no new ideas. Isn't that a Bob Dylan line? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So just much more love and admiration and, and, and uh, gratefulness for people that have um, um, helped me yeah. be an artist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, walking each other home isn't all yeah. simultaneous. And, you know, it's those who went before us are walking yeah, us home sure. as well yeah. yeah yeah for sure and well you know american culture hasn't really um honored much those who go before you know it's all about the moment and what we can now create which has been great but um well I, we're adolescent you know we've got acne and we're trying to figure out how to do this <laughs> Yeah, I used to teach um, women's circles, not teach, but lead. And um, the Native people all, and other cultures as well, um, honor the ancestors, you know, those who went before. Um, and um, so we'd go around the circle and each woman would say her name and the name of her mother and the name of her grandmother uh. and her great-grandmother, very few women knew names past their grandmother. And some of them even were forgetting their grandmother's names. So oh, isn't well, that, that now I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking of my situation, same thing. I, I can picture the faces, but the names are kind yeah. of... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, it's important. It's yeah. I um, 
when I was writing the book with Ramdas, I kept, of course, thinking about friends who had died and then friends would die while we were writing um, yeah. because we were both getting so old. And um, uh, so I put together, I decided to make a little table altar kind of thing uh, with pictures of friends who had died. Oh, I, I realized I didn't want to forget them. I think yeah. I, it started like with me thinking, oh, is anybody going to remember me? You know, huh. and I, thought, I better get on this. So <laughs> I put these and I started out with there's a few pictures. And then, I, you know, I'd stop by that table each day and just look at everybody and thank them for being in my life. And now yeah. it's now it's like three or four years and of course at this age you know the table is just full of people uh -huh. yeah. yeah and um including ramdas now <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah but i do think honoring those and i love that about your book it really is an honoring of the all those um musicians and other artists who have you know, whether they knew it or not at the time they were doing it, have passed some wisdom onto you. And right. uh, that's, I, I just think the whole act of writing it and doing it is important and beautiful. And, you know, it's a sweet thing that you mentioned in one of our emails, uh, early emails about doing this podcast that um, I'm paraphrasing, but you were saying something like, well, I guess, you know, we were supposed to meet in this incarnation, you know, <laughs> me and you. Yeah. And, and you know, I, you know, I'm pushing 80 and you're, uh, I, I know it's not polite, but uh, we're oh. sort of around the same age. I'm and, ahead of you, my dear. Yeah, okay. 80, so 81. But um, what a blessing that in our third act here, we're connecting. It's, I know it. It's, really good no it's great and then just a reminder it just keeps on going you know every moment it's not you know like kind of all downhill <laughs> after a certain point no no yeah. no no okay well maybe uh, mary oliver can help us uh, good she always helps um uh this is uh it's about details and slowing down i read this during my little uh poems for the pandemic and um oh i'm gonna accompany myself with my uh, african talking drum hang on okay it's called the summer day uh you know this is of course the wonderful northeastern pulitzer poet who who crossed over just a few years ago yeah right? yeah 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 the summer day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper. I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her enormous complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. 
Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I've been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is your plan to do with your one wild, precious life? the best <sighs> so that's that's the meditation we need to do in this uh, sequestered yes. pandemic yeah. isolation you know smell the roses of course and uh you know i mean incredible sadness over all the pain and death um but things that happen there are reasons things happen and uh, the lesson here is, you know, the greenhouse gases are down. Okay, there's something mm -hmm. like we, we come out of this. We need, let's be aware of that. You know, maybe we can view things a little differently and learn from this rough stuff. So, yeah. John, thank you. This was so great. Yeah. <laughs> I sure hope uh, we get to hang out in the flesh. I mean, you know, I think in a year or so that'll be happening. Oh, I think so too. Yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. But, but thanks. This is just wonderful. You know, I, uh, I got your message. KD sent his love. I mean, let's just close with, with that channel from Neem Crowley to, Ramdas to KD to you mm -hmm. to me. Thanks for the yes. blessing. Yes. Mm. Yeah. May you continue to feel it and be happy. And as he told us, love everyone. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? 
Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.